Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the globally recognized leader in podcasts. My name is Jody Jenkins. And I'm Tony Clement. And did you notice, Tony, the new, I guess, accolade that we've received? We are now recognized as a leader in podcasts and podcast technology. Well, I would hope so. And I hope that we're leading in Tennessee now after our last interview with Jason Emmert. So hopefully we've bumped our numbers in Tennessee, too. Yeah, and I should say before we get to our guest and before you introduce our amazing guest that we have had amazing feedback, not only on Mr. Emmert, but also our candidate profiles we did for the conservative leadership race. Mr. O'Toole, Ms. Lewis and Mr. Sloan, of course. Uh, the fourth candidate refused to come on our show. We still, we he's still welcome though, but he, they never respond. His team never. There, there's still, there's still time. Uh, there's still time. We're willing to open up a space at any moment, but uh, I'm not holding out hope at this point. Well, you know what? What do, what do, what does our podcast and my conservative leadership ballot both have in common? <laughs> I can only imagine. Peter McKay won't be on either of them. <laughs> won't Boom! be on either of them. Uh, there you go. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to let but, you introduce our guest right now. <laughs> well, we're, we seem to be not only focused on Canadian politics, but of course, uh, U.S. politics. We had Jason Emmert on last week, uh, who uh, gave us a really good uh Tour d'horizon, if I might put it that way, uh, as a law professor and as a ex-Tennessean politician. Uh, but today we get it from the Canadian angle, and we're very honored, very very pleased to have Mr. David McNaughton as our guest today. Uh, David was Canada's ambassador to the USA from 2016 to 2019. He is currently president of Palantir Canada, which is a data company. Uh, and uh, I, I'm just absolutely delighted that we can add to our ambassadorial interview uh, list uh, David McNaughton after having had David Wilkins, who was the U.S. ambassador to Canada a few years back on the program earlier. David, welcome to the program. Welcome. Thanks very much. Delighted to be here. It's great to have you on the show. And, and uh, of course, I have to start with uh, the obvious question, in terms of Canada-U.S. relations, what, what the state or the status of it is from your perspective. You've obviously, uh, you were neck deep into Canada-U.S. relationship issues when you were ambassador to the USA. How do you think things are going right now? Well, you know, I mean, obviously there's a fair bit of tension going on right now because of the you know, different uh, both approaches and status of the covid situation in the U.S. and Canada, um, and, you know, I think Canadians are quite concerned about um, some of the, the outbreaks in the United States, and so the travel, the kinds of things that, you know, have kept Canada and the U.S. very close, uh, you know, tourists coming back and forth, and, and friends and family coming back and forth, that's kind of stopped right now, but, but you know, overall, I think the relationship is extremely strong. Um, you know, most people tend to think about their relationship in the context of how does the prime minister get along with the president? But the reality is, is that the, the, the contacts between Canada and the United States at the political level go way deeper than that. They, they, they go through the Senate and the Congress, the Charter of the House of Representatives. There's, there's um, you know, state governors and provincial premiers that work together all the time. So, 
mean, overall, the relationship is strong. What's going to happen after we start coming out of uh, the COVID and the economies start to recover? Um, I'm I'm a little bit worried about. I'm worried about protectionism uh, rising again in the United States. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's challenging, but the overall the relationship I think is extremely strong. Uh, of course, the other thing on the horizon is the November U.S. elections. Uh, and I, I don't want you to give away any state secrets, but I, I'm just curious. Uh, obviously, that's looming on the horizon right now. So in the Canadian embassy in D.C., uh, how much preparation is going on to anticipating, uh, you know, both scenarios, a continued Trump administration or a changed administration to, to Joe Biden? Well, I, I think a, an awful lot of it is going on. I mean, we, we before the 2016 election, um, you know, we had mapped out, um, you know, different scenarios, uh, looked into, you know, who was on campaign teams, who might be on transition teams, who might be, um, you know, involved in the administration. And it's, it's difficult. You don't want to do too much um, different outreach during a campaign because you don't want to be seen to be interfering in a U.S. election. But you need to be prepared so that right after the election, regardless of what the outcome is, you can you can begin to you know establish or reestablish the relationships at all levels in the United States because it's so important to Canada and particularly right now where our economy is um, you know like everybody is suffering. If we're going to have a good recovery, we're going to have to have uh, access to the U.S. market on a continual basis. Right and. I, you know, I see it. I remember in previous electoral cycles, of course, we, we'd always have the national conventions of the Democrats and the Republicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's there always the Canadian ambassador was at both conventions with a delegation. And there, there'd always be MPs and senators at both conventions just to, uh, you know, Whatever, and obviously to to ensure that we had good working relationships with whomever was at the at the top of the polls. So that won't be happening at this juncture, obviously. But the same kind of approaches must be still going on. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, one of the things that we found um, during the NAFTA renegotiation uh, was that. Um, and, and, and the great thing that happened was that Canadians pulled together. Uh, we had federal provincial cooperation. We had private public. We had cooperation, you know, across the aisle. I mean, you, you yourself were there several times. And, and I found that um, Canadians of whatever political stripe or whatever, you know, wherever they came from were prepared to lean in and use whether they had, whether there were personal relationships in the United States, whether they had economic relationships in the United States, um, everybody pulled together and made it happen. And I think we're going to have to do the same thing because, you know, with what's happening right now is uh, every company, every country is looking at the integrity and the security of its supply chain. And I think you're going to see some adjustments after the economy starts up again um, with people moving supply chain from countries that may be challenging <laughs> from a security point of view right. or, or from, you know, and, 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 and the question is, 
Is all that onshoring going to happen in the U.S.? Is it going to happen in the U.S. and Mexico? Is it going to happen in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico in terms of North America? And I think we've got to be really prepared to put forward our case as to how we can um, work with the Americans to secure uh, a reliable and secure supply chain. This is uh, this is a, a very good topic. Uh, the great decoupling, as it's called in some circles, so between uh, uh, the West and the Chinese supply chain. So we're going to be watching mm-hmm. that one closely. I, I want to take you back, though, to your time as Canadian ambassador to the U.S. Was was the uh, Canada U.S. Mexico tra- trade agreement? Was that the biggest challenge that you faced? Uh, the ins and outs and the ups and downs of that negotiation. Yeah, without question. I mean, the combination of um, that negotiation plus then uh, the president imposing 232 tariffs on uh, on steel and aluminum, which which was both an economic impact, but it was also sort of a psychological impact because the 232 uh, powers really required that the president declare that the country of origin of those materials is a, is a national security threat. And I think Canadians were pretty um, stunned <laughs> that that was yeah. used against us. Uh, and so so those two things, and, and the unpredictability of uh, what the president might or might not do was uh, you know, made, made every single day... Uh, quite interesting <laughs> quite <laughs> yeah I can, I can only imagine what did, tell yeah. us what was the wackiest thing that happened in dc that you observed i, I you know I, I don't mean to tell tales out of school necessarily but you see you must have seen some very interesting stuff and stuff that uh, that took you by great surprise so can you walk us through one of those anecdotes yeah, well you know the, 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 i think the, I'll, I'll, take, I'll tell you two of them that were kind of really quite you know, surprising. I had been in Toronto over the weekend. I got back, uh, you know, I, I got the early morning flight to D.C., so I was in the office at 9 o'clock, and um, at about 5, 5.30, I said to my assistant, I think I'll take some papers home and catch up on my reading and just put my feet up and do some reading. And I was about to walk out the door, and, and she came in and she said, uh, Wilbur Ross is on the phone. And I said, oh, well, that's my good sign. Um, and he was in Wisconsin with the president, and the president, this is when they, you know, the president decided that it was Canadian dairy policy that was bankrupting Wisconsin farmers. And so Weber said, that, you know, when Ryan's previous called, and everything, he said he's going to tear up NAFTA, you know, and I tried to say, look, this, this is not Canada's fault that these people are, you know, there's a Department of Agriculture report that says you're overproducing milk. But he didn't have any, he wouldn't pay any attention to it. We did a whole series of things, but I finally got off the phone at one o'clock in the morning because Christian Freeland was in Frankfurt, Germany, and I had to get a hold of her before I actually concluded my day. So that, that kind of unpredictability went on fairly regularly. I mean, I, on the steel stuff, I remember uh, getting a call from a senior person in the White House uh, at 7.30 at night saying, the president's going to announce uh, iron steel tariffs on or steel aluminum tariffs on Canada tomorrow morning at eleven o'clock. Is there anything you can do about it? Is the White House calling me asking? That was the White House calling you, giving yeah, you the heads yeah, up, saying, you know, please help us deal with this. Please help us. 
And I think it was mostly because they knew that I had a good relationship with Leo Gerard, who was the head of Steelworkers. Anyway, so I, I made a series of phone calls to Congressman and to Leo and a variety of others. And so at quarter to 11, I get a call back from the same person in the White House saying, thanks very much. It looks as if it's just going to be a photo op and nothing's going to happen. And I said, well, yeah, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. Anyway, according after 11, the president announced tariffs on cash. So even, even his own staff didn't know what was going to happen. What was going to go going on? Oh, my gosh. Jody, you're up. You're up to bat. Well, I'm just going to... I'm just going to ask the standard question that I always ask of everybody that's been on our show for the last, you know, 26 weeks and has a, an insight into American politics. And that, of course, is the easiest question in the world. I want your solid prediction on what happens in the elections this fall. <laughs> I'll, give you the same, I'll give you the same prediction that I gave to um, the cabinet, the, the, the Canadian uh, cabinet in the summer of 2016, which is it is never over until it's over and you should not make any assumptions. I told them that at that time, everybody in Washington, all the smart people in Washington said that uh, Hillary Clinton would be the president and that the uh, Democrats would take the Senate. And I said, the only thing I should tell you is that all the smart people in Washington have been wrong every time for the last 18 months. So <laughs> whatever you do, don't get out there and be critical of Donald Trump or, you know, make any assumptions. And, and I, I would I would just say the same thing. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, he's up against a much stiffer uh, battle this time, not necessarily in terms of the candidates, but just in terms of where he is in the polls. But, um, but I wouldn't, you know, in today's world, I wouldn't make any assumptions about what the outcome's going to be. Yeah, no, yeah, I, this I would is, agree. This is 2020, so all bets are off everything, uh, certainly. Uh, you must have a, a sense. I'm obviously, uh, as a keen uh, observer of the U.S., you're aware of their history of racial uh, tensions mm. and, and, of course, uh, the, uh, the injustice in some of the race, uh, race relations. Uh, and you obviously watched the Black Lives Matter explode after George Floyd's uh, murder. Um, so just take us through your, your thought process when you're, when you're observing that, because you, you know, the streets of Washington, you've been to many other U S cities. What's, what's your take on it all? You know, um, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a, it's an issue which goes right through American society. And it's something that they've been dealing with for, you know, the last couple hundred years. Um, and, and while you can say, substantial progress has been made and it has been um there is still systemic racism and it it is going to take time uh, for it to to uh, to be dealt with you know one of the things that uh, i mean i've always been aware of that i'm a student of american history but going to the african-american museum in washington and and going through that and spending several hours in that it, it was really quite um, disturbing and impactful for me because it, in one place, it showed not only just not the pro just the progress that's been made, but also the lingering um, racism that exists and how it manifests itself. So it's a very difficult thing for them to deal with. I mean, obviously, um, 
you know, we can't be smug about it in Canada. We've got our own challenges, but, uh, you know, this is, this is going to be an ongoing struggle, um, that, that affects all aspects of American society. And, and it's just come, the, the Floyd thing brought it really to the surface because it was so graphic in terms of its, you know, abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've got to ask a broader question and, uh, it's, it has to do with the establishment of the post world war II order, which obviously America was the leader on. And, uh, they created a series of international institutions, uh, like the IMF and the world bank, uh, NATO was created. The United Nations was created in New York city as it's, uh, as it's host city. Uh, and now uh, many are predicting the demise of liberal internationalism uh, and the demise of uh, a global international order. And indeed, they see Donald Trump as one of the leaders of disassembling it, along with other populists, perhaps, and just maybe just the times. Uh, after uh, 75 years, uh, perhaps uh, uh, a new order is, is, is coming into being. You're, you're, a, you're an observer uh, of all of this, uh, as well as someone who acted on Canada's behalf in uh, the, the new Rome of Washington, D.C. What's, what's your take on all this? Yeah, I don't think there's any question that not only are those uh, you know, institutions under assault, but you know, the fact of the matter is, is that the reason most of them have been as um, vibrant at one time or other since the Second World War is because of American leadership. Um, and that, you know, the President of the United States uh, has been quite vocal about being critical of almost all of them. Um, so I, I, I just, I don't see um, a, a significant revival of those institutions. I think we're going to see something else emerge. And I think one of the things that, that Canada has to realize is that, uh, you know, we're going to have to step up our game on security and defense. Um, and we may, you know, have to play a larger role in security and defense um, in our hemisphere. I mean, we were active with the Lima group in terms of the Venezuela situation sort of outside of the OAS. Um, there may be other situations where, um, you know, we get together with countries uh, around a single issue and say, let's try and solve this together. Um, but I think the most important thing that's going to come out of, hopefully come out of the election, is that America is going to realize that the word ally is not a bad word um, and that having allies is an important thing and being consistent with your allies. And I think for Canadians, as I said, we're going to have to realize that one way or the other, um, America is are still our best friend and best ally, and we are going to have to step up to the plate a little bit more in terms of defense and security of our of our continent. Maybe also in the Arctic. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, Arctic sovereignty, absolutely. I mean, there's a really significant role for Canada to play, whether it be in you know, renewal of NORAD, whether it be in defense of the Arctic, whether it be in terms of, you know, human smuggling drugs, uh, you know, there are a whole series of issues. And I think it's going to be difficult because as we come out of the kind of spending that's been going on to support individuals and the economy, um, I'm sure that there will be those in Canada who say, okay, well, we need to reduce our defense budget in order to, you know, it's the old 
you know, guns versus, you know, you know, versus domestic, um, domestic policy. The reality is, is that if we expect to have continued access to the United States market, if we have the United States treating us, um, you know, as a valued ally, we're going to have to step up a little bit more than we have in the past. Indeed. I'm going to leave the last question to my colleague, Jody Jenkins, who always has one that comes out of the blue. Jody, (laughs) I'm I'm relying on you. I'm not going to ask any tough questions, but I I do know, David, obviously uh, you were very involved in the uh, Ontario Liberal Association, the party back in the day, I believe with David Peterson's leadership campaign and more. I'm just curious, um, I'm not a liberal myself, but is there any names you could throw out from your time that that was that would have been the you know a great liberal leader one that never materialized that you thought would have done really well. Ooh, good question. Federally or provincially, Jeez. actually. Well, I, you know, I think um, when I think back to people who were pretty important and and stabilizing influences um, back in the Peterson years, I think about Bob Nixon. Um, in terms of liberals who I have been extraordinarily impressed with, uh, you know, not necessarily from Ontario, I think of Frank McKenna, um, who did a fantastic job in New Brunswick. Um, but you know, I mean, there's been, there's been lots and lots of people who, uh, you know, have, have been, uh, strong, um, you know, strong people in the liberal party, um, and, and my preference, of course, is that we not drift too far um, to the left. Um, I think that the, the, the strength of the Liberal Party has always been its ability to straddle the center, to have good, strong relationships with the business community, but also, you know, be socially liberal and, and sensitive to those who are, you know, disadvantaged. Um, but as we come out of this... Uh, COVID situation with the economy uh, with an awful lot of walking wounded, I hope that uh, the federal government and those in the Liberal Party across the country realize that if we don't have strong private sector institutions that are able to be globally competitive, um, we're not going to be able to reduce the unemployment. So, you know, my, my heroes of the past, even when I was very young and working in Ottawa, were you know, the Don McDonald's and the Bob Anderses and, you know, Bud Drury and people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I've worked with an awful lot of good people. And, and as I said earlier, the other thing that we need to realize is that we're a country of 37 million. It's not bad to have differences of opinion on policy, but when you talk about the really, really important issues for Canada, it's important that uh, we don't, that we learn to work more across the aisle and more federally, provincially, and more between the private and public sector, because that's the only way that we're going to succeed as a country. Here, here. Hey, you've, you've, you've sparked one last question. I can't, I can't resist. <laughs> what do you think, uh, what do you think Mark Carney's next move is? Oh gosh, I don't know, but you know, he, he's a remarkably talented guy who's had, uh, um, you know, lots of uh, public service in his background. I can't help but think that at some point he will, you know, make the decision to put his name on a ballot. But, you know, these days, uh, being a politician, it's always been challenging, but 
boy, uh, you know, with social media and everything else, you better have a pretty thick skin if you're going to run for politics. But I, I expect that he may do so. Well, we, we're going to maybe enlist your help to contact him. Maybe he can make his announcement on our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, we're we're always that. trying to make news. We're always trying to make news. Uh, <laughs> Dave McNaughton, thank you so much for being part of our program. It's such an honor to have you on and some great insights about uh, Canada-U.S. relations and U.S. politics. Uh, we hope you're a friend of the show and you, we might have you back at some point in the future. Great. Well, I enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Excellent discussion. Again, you're back on the, uh, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Back on the train of uh, amazing guests. Not that you ever left the train, but. Uh, well, I think it's good. We've had a couple of weeks now in a row on U.S. politics, which, of course, is uh, much of what everybody's talking about anyway. So uh, I think we're very, uh, you know, apropos and, uh, you know, we're talking about what everybody else is talking about. So I'm glad that we're we were able to acquire a guest like Dave McDonough. He's, he's a longtime friend of mine, and uh, but he's a busy guy. And uh, I'm, I'm glad he made time for us, for sure. Well, but uh, the one question I didn't ask him, which I should have, was how he felt about the announcement of the newest NHL team's uh, nickname, the Seattle Kraken. That would have been nice to get his point of view on that. True, yeah. Release the Kraken. Release the Kraken. It's like the only thing I remember about the entire Clash of the Titans movie is release the Kraken. Yeah. But obviously, it's become become a, a meme in and of itself. Well, but uh, and isn't the other thing I always think of? Isn't there like some sort of like vodka that's Kraken or something like? Yeah, that? I think so. I think there is a vodka. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. So I just uh, a commercial with like a a Kraken. So I, okay, so a Kraken is a large like squid like or octopus sea monster. Sea monster. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sea monster. Half squid, half uh, octopus, half lobster. That would be great if it was half lobster. Actually, that would be pretty intense. (laughs) We should create that sea creature, actually. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But the Seattle Seattle Kraken, I I don't think they'll have to ever change their name, thank goodness, so we don't have to get into the Redskins issue or whatever, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, et cetera. But, uh, yeah, and I thought the jersey actually looked pretty cool. I got to admit. Yeah. I mean, so these guys, have it's, it's funny. There was people that were panning the logo and stuff. But look, the people that do these things are pretty smart. My guess is they did some testing and they know the kids are going to love it or something like that. Uh, they're not yeah. idiots by any stretch. So I No, they're not idiots. Yeah. And dare I say they'll be in the Stanley Cup finals before the Toronto Maple Leafs will. Well, that wouldn't take much. <laughs> that wouldn't take much. Exactly. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of sports and a return to sports uh, story just a couple days ago, uh, because the MLB is back at it, but the Marlins and the Orioles had to cancel one of their games because of an outbreak in their yeah. bubble. I think there was like 14-plus cases. But what are your thoughts on sports returning? And I, I personally, I think it's good. I like it. Yeah, you know, I was very excited. Look, uh, the Premier League, the British Premier League, has been going on for a few weeks now, and my team, Manchester United, had a big win uh, uh, a few days ago and were able to secure a spot on the Champions League, so everybody was all excited about that. And the Liverpudlian fans were excited about Liverpool getting the <laughs> Premier League Championship. That's what they call themselves, oh, Liverpudlians. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and Manchester citizens are Mancunians, in case you're wondering. Oh, okay. so, I don't watch soccer. 
Okay, no, but I, I'm saying I've been into live sports a few no, weeks yeah. longer, but MLB coming back, great. Now, they, they don't have it like they have the big bubble, like the NHL's got Toronto and Edmonton bubbles, and the NBA's got the Orlando bubble. The MLB teams are traveling around, you know, which was part of the problem with the Jays, of course, being above the border. Uh, so I don't, I don't know how, uh, I think they're going to have a, a harder pro, a harder challenge keeping covid out when they're traveling around to this hotel and that hotel yeah i mean i think and golf's been going for a couple of weeks they've been doing very yeah. well with a very few cases amongst that but all the covid mm. gatherings in ontario and you know what is it a hundred out, outdoors unless you're in brampton i think it's you can gather up to 200 in brampton. <laughs> 200 in brampton apparently when they found the house party the other night yeah. but, uh, 200 I young people right? i don't know is that a, is that a did uh did patrick brown make that a rule out there or something or yeah no brampton's actually a bit of a hot spot like if you look at the po cases are are still pretty high but most of them are in brampton why. so <laughs> i uh, i no other comment on that gatherings of 200 will do that exactly exactly what are your what else you what else you got going on in your mind these days well i was i was sad to see eddie shack passed away he was a great entertainer in my my childhood you know clear the track here comes eddie shack and uh i know toronto maple leafs fans but i think just generally uh hockey fans were remembering him as the great entertainer he was so uh, that was a time when you could have a personality in sports and it wasn't a strike against you you know uh, nowadays they're just they're drilled down to uh, you know uh, the, the the oh we're i'm playing for the team and uh, this is a team sport and blah 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 eddie shack was a great entertainer and uh, you don't see those personalities as much in sports these days unfortunately yeah, and speaking of hockey we want to give a, a shout out and give our thoughts to Dale Howarchuk, who is battling cancer again. Yes. I saw that yes. in the news recently. And uh, the reason I bring that up is I know his son, Eric Howarchuk, who's a pro golfer. I've got to meet him a couple times. So we just want to wish the Howarchuk family all the best. And we know you'll be fighting it. And uh, uh, we know that you're going to come out on the better end of this one. So. Yeah. Godspeed to Dale Howarchuk for sure. Great guy. So, yeah, I guess that wraps up another episode and uh, more exciting guests coming. Have you filled out your ballot yet for the leadership? No, my ballot was sent to an incorrect address, so I'm waiting for the party to uh, to send me a new ballot. But okay. I will be obviously voting. I assure you. Perfect, and that's got to be in by what August 21st or something. August 21st is the final date, and then I guess the they announce the results on the 23rd. I think there's already uh, you know 10 or 20 thousand ballots in, so. Yeah. Uh, people are filling out their ballots and sending them in, which is good. By the way, I just thought of someone else we should get out on the show. Belinda Carahelios. Okay, yes. Uh, the the newest independent MPP <laughs> in the Ontario legislature. <laughs> we should there just we get go. all three of those. Like We should get Randy Hillier, uh, the Samard girl, and Belinda yeah. on the show. It was... <laughs> I'll just do a little, uh, a little uh, panel discussion about what it was a like. A panel. It'll be, it that'll like be our be, panel. What it was like to be yeah. part of the Ontario PC party for a the, week. The, the, political, the political panel with a twist. <laughs> anyway, lots going on. All right, Tony. Well, we will talk soon. And don't forget, subscribe, download, all that fun stuff. Tell your friends. And you bet. Seven days from now, we'll do it again. We will indeed.